Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Great summer day here in the cities. You heard that forecast a moment ago from Al Shock. Uh, up to 87, our dew point down 1 to 60. But uh, this feels like June, and it has been dry. And maybe you're looking at your lawn and saying... I've seen better, and we thought it would be a good time to visit with Eric Watkins, professor at the Department of Horticultural Science at the University of Minnesota. Eric, good to visit with you. It's been a while. Yeah, good to talk with you, Steve. Thanks for having me on. It has been dry and a lot of lot of pressure on our turf grass right now. Yeah, this has been dry. It'd be nice if we got some rain soon, but... Uh... Having a dry period uh, this early in the season does make it a little tricky to get the lawn ready to handle other stress periods that will inevitably come, uh, you know, as we get into Ju- July and uh, August. Because typically the, the, the turf grass we have here, it, it does really well when it's a little bit cooler. That, you know, most of the stuff we have in, a, in our lawns around the, the greater metro area and beyond you know, like that that cooler, wetter weather. Right. The grasses that we use on lawns in Minnesota are all, uh, almost all cool season grasses. Uh, so these, you know, they, they like spring and fall. They like temperatures in the 70s and uh, a little bit of moisture, and they are not going to grow as well uh, during the hot summer months. Now they'll still survive and, and function just fine with proper management. But their ideal growing conditions uh, are mostly, uh, you know, May, early June, and then again, uh, late August through uh, early October. And by the way, if you want to visit with Eric about your your lawn, uh, by all means, get a hold of us on the City's One Plumbing Talk and Text Line, 651-461-9226, 651-461-9226. Once again, you, you can send a text, great way to go, or call Visit with producer Josh Wheeler, and he'll put you through to the studio today. Once again, lawns in the spotlight. Eric, uh, good enough to join us through the weather at 3.30 today. Water is a big part of it. And this was an unusual spring because April was so cool that really it it was probably too cold for lawns to get a proper start. Yeah, they didn't. It took them a while to get going. Uh, but then once we got to May or so, they really started taking off. And we've had a, we had a lot of grass growth uh, during the month of May, uh, really good conditions. But, yeah, the winter hung on for a while this year, so it took a while to get going. But once the conditions are, are, are good for grass growth, uh, as, many, as many know and have noticed in their lawns, they can grow quite vigorously. Yeah, and it, it, at, at this time of year, once you get into June, is water the key component where – you know, especially when we're going through a dry stretch here early in the season, 
is watering it. And let's kind of go through the guidelines. What is best for your lawn? Is it watering every day? Is it watering twice a day? Is it watering once a week? Sort that out, Eric, because, you know, this is what you do. Uh, You you spend a lot of time studying turf grass. What's the way to go? So the amount of water your lawn needs uh, is going to be dependent on a number of factors. Uh, soil type is going to affect how much water your lawn needs. Uh, the grass you grow is going to affect how much water you need. Uh, you'll see recommendations often of about an inch a week, which would be you know precipitation plus any irrigation you put down. I think that's probably on the high side, uh, but but whatever that number is, uh, let's say it was you know three quarters of an inch or half an inch even for a lower input grass. Um, it's probably better for most uh, people to put uh, water on less frequently, but at greater amounts. So rather than water every day, uh, maybe water every third day or something like that, split it into two, uh, two or three applications per week rather than watering it every day. The idea there is that uh, if you are constantly watering your grass, you're not really encouraging a lot of root growth. Uh, and then when you do have periods where you can't water, maybe there's water restrictions or something in your city, uh, then the, the roots aren't quite as deep as you might want them. So we typically recommend um, deeper watering, but more infrequently. And then, of course, it would be the same amount of water probably over time, but uh, just change the frequency and the depth. Yeah, and is is early in the morning, like right after sunrise best or evening, it, it, it seems so a lot of my neighbors – are watering their lawn in the evening. And I I have heard that that's not such a good idea. Yeah, the the best time to water is early morning, like you said. But if you've got an irrigation system, have it start at 5 o'clock or something like that. Um, The uh, watering during the middle of the day is uh, you're going to get a situation where, especially in these hot, uh, windy days, you're going to lose quite a bit of water to evaporation, so that's kind of wasteful. The problem with watering in the evening is, this is especially a concern later in the summer, not so much now, but it still, still could be a concern, is that you then are adding water to the turf and keeping the, leaf, the, the turf leaves wet during the evening. And that's what, what's happening then is you'll have a longer leaf wetness period, uh, and long periods of leaf wetness lead to more disease pressure. So some of the common diseases we might have on lawns in Minnesota would be more prevalent in those situations where you have a lot of extended leaf wetness. So by watering in the morning, you're watering at a time when the leaves are coming out of uh, a, a wet period during the night with dew, uh, and uh, therefore you're not going to have that long uh, wetness period that would lead to more disease. So we always recommend uh, watering early in the morning. Joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline, Professor Eric Watkins from the University of Minnesota Department of Horticultural Science. If you have a question about your lawn, feel free to get a hold of us. 651-461-9226. Here's a good one. Uh, Someone put down some granular fertilizer last week. Uh, How long should they wait to apply a liquid herbicide to the lawn? Well, those those two applications uh, aren't necessarily going to affect one another. Sort of the larger uh, recommend, the bigger point here might be that when we're in a situation like we are now where it's been pretty dry, you probably don't 
want to be doing a lot to your lawn, and that it could include uh, pesticide applications for controlling weeds and um, uh, and fertilizing. Now, if you have a lawn that's getting uh, proper uh, amounts of moisture through watering, then uh, it's not a problem to apply that herbicide uh, after the uh, the fertilizer goes down. Um, we're probably at a point now, most people are probably, the recommendation would be if you're going to fertilize in the spring, uh, most of that probably would have been uh, done uh, by now, uh, late May, early June now. Um, and then herbicides can be put down as as needed, but like I mentioned before, you want to avoid in these stressful conditions, especially in a situation where you're not watering your lawn, you want to avoid doing things to your lawn like applying pesticides or applying fertilizers. Yeah, and, you know, the the funny thing is I had kind of changed my approach a number of years ago based on some of the conversations we've had here on the radio and other things I've heard, like on the Smart Gardens program on Saturday mornings uh, with the experts from the Extension Service at the University of Minnesota each and every Saturday morning between 8 and 9 a.m. And, by the way, those podcasts are very popular and available at the website wccradio.com but it's just spot treating you know if i have a problem area i'll spot treat that area instead of kind of carpet bombing the entire turf grass right spot treating is a really good approach uh for post-emergence uh herbicide application so that you know you're probably typically talking about dandelions or uh, weeds like that where you uh, see them appear and then you want to get rid of them. Uh, there's some weeds like crabgrass, for instance, where to control them, uh, the best application is a pre-emergent herbicide. In that case, you're going to have to do a blanket application to the, to the whole area. But, yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, a lot of times for the, for the amount of weeds one has in their lawns, typically in Minnesota, spot applications can work, uh, work really well. Uh, we've got more with Eric coming up. We invite you to uh, continue uh, to uh, reach us, if you wish, on the City's One Plumbing Talk and text line 651-461-9226. If you have a question about uh, your, your turf grass, we're also going to get into seeding. And then going forward, what are the recommendations? Should, should you be fertilizing in the hot summer months or should you wait now until fall? Uh, we will certainly get into all of that. And then uh, putting down sod or, or doing repairs. We'll get into that as well with Eric in a moment here on News Talk. E3-O-W-C-C-O. Dew point 60, 87 degrees. Not a great chance of rain today or tonight. Next chance, Monday and Monday night. Uh, it continues to be dry in these parts, and maybe your lawn is feeling it. Uh, Eric, here's a good one. If folks haven't been watering and the lawn has turned brown, it, it'll it bounce back when we get rain or bounce back in the fall. Is that is that pretty typical? Yeah, for the most part, uh, lawns are going to bounce back after a, a drought dormancy period. The amount of time they can go without water is going to vary between the grass you have. So if you have Kentucky bluegrass, you might be able to make it Nearly a couple months, maybe a month and a half without water. Um, some of the fine fescues that we often recommend are probably probably aren't going to last quite as long as Kentucky bluegrass, and you'd want to water them at some point. Uh, but these grasses do have dormancy mechanisms, so that during you know most of our droughts, especially those that don't extend 
uh, for long periods, uh, they are able to bounce back. And as soon as that rain comes, they'll green, uh, green back up again. Yeah, so if we, we have a, a dry summer at some point, you're going to want to think about uh, putting putting some water down to help that lawn get through. Uh, another thing I wanted to bring up, and it was a follow-up, someone uh, applied some fertilizer. I, I would astu- assume at the website, the extension website, that there is guidance on, you know, when or what, what the timing is to put fertilizer down. Uh, in your experience, do, do do people generally fertilize their turf too much? That's a good question. Some people probably fertilize it too much, and a lot of people probably don't fertilize it enough. Um, uh, the 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 key with fertilization is to fertilize at the right times of year. So we talked when we started uh, the conversation, talked about how these cool season grasses are growing more vigorously when the weather's cooler. So what we want to do is time the fertilizer, the fertilizer applications at, at, at a point in the season when we expect the grass to be growing pretty vigorously. So that's why we typically recommend, uh, if you're going to fertilize in the spring, like a late May uh, fertilizer application, maybe mid-May, and then start fertilizing again uh, maybe late August, early September. Um what about uh, repairs, uh, putting down sod? Sod's now pretty much available at the garden center. You see it out there. Uh, the one thing I do know about sod, my experience over the life, when you put it down, you definitely want to keep it wet. Yeah, that's the key thing with sod. So sod's a great option for that, getting that instant turf coverage in a, in a bare spot. Uh, but but the, the key is to keep it moist. You want to make sure it's moist until those roots are firmly uh, into the ground uh, and uh, and growing well. One of the one of the challenges of sod is that almost all the sod that you would, you would find available is Kentucky bluegrass. Now, if you have a Kentucky bluegrass lawn and you want Kentucky bluegrass, that's not a problem. But if you're somebody who has other grasses, uh, it's going to be difficult to to match uh, and find sod that fits uh, the other grasses in your lawn. And another challenge is that Kentucky bluegrass, for the most part, is not very shade tolerant. So if you have an area maybe that's not doing well because it's in the shade, uh, siding it with Kentucky bluegrass isn't going to necessarily uh, solve the problem. Yeah, Eric, one of the things that uh, I know when we visited with you have have talked about recommended varieties that, that are a little more drought-tolerant uh, work in our climate or in this growing zone, if you will. Some recommendations. We're, we're seed is is certainly a good option, uh, especially to incorporate some of these, you know, newer varieties. So fine fescue is one that comes up. Yeah, fine fescues are a really good option for those who don't want to water their lawn a lot and don't want to mow a lot and put down a lot of fertilizer. So they would be considered a low-input grass. There's several fine fescues, and there's resources on the University Extension uh, web, Garden Garden website uh, about fine fescues. Uh and, and you, there's multiple, there's several species of fine fescues that one can plant, um, but usually you, you would plant a mixture of several of these species. Uh, but they provide a really good turf, uh, don't need as much mowing, uh, can stay green longer during drought, longer uh, during droughts. They also do quite well in shade for the most part, which is a really nice advantage. Another grass that we've been um, doing quite a bit of work on and really encouraging people to consider using is tall fescue, which is a completely different grass than the fine fescues. And it's a more, 
it's a it's a wider leaf grass than the fine fescues. The leaf texture is maybe similar to Kentucky bluegrass, maybe a little wider leaf blade. Um, but this grass has much deeper roots than some of these other grasses that we use. So we've noticed uh, during the last few years when we've had these summer drought periods that the tall fescue can stay green during these droughts pretty much the whole time. Uh, and that's a really big advantage when you think about uh, getting through these summer stress periods. So we're doing more and more recommendation that uh, tall fescue is a good option, especially for uh, those folks who don't want to be watering their lawns during the summer. We do, however, recommend that you don't seed it uh, straight uh, as tall fescue because there are a few few things that tall fescue, a few attributes of tall fescue that could be a problem in Minnesota. For instance, it doesn't green up quite as early as other grasses. And maybe if we have extended periods of ice cover during the winter, you might lose some grass. So we typically recommend, um, we, would, we would recommend mixing Kentucky bluegrass and tall fescue together. But doing that gives you a really nice lawn during these uh, drought periods that we've been having in Minnesota the last few years. So if you have predominantly a bluegrass lawn, can you start to incorporate that? Because people have heard terms like overseeding, et cetera. Can you introduce that uh, to established turf? Yeah, that, that's certainly something you can do. Now, that process isn't going to be instant. You, it's sure. not just a one-time overseeding, right? It's, if you want to maintain your lawn as is and slowly incorporate and start to incorporate other grasses, uh, you can do that through yearly overseeding in the late summer, early fall. Uh, and with tall fescue, maybe we'd rec- even recommend doing it in the spring because tall fescue uh, is a grass that uh, sometimes if it's young going into winter, you can have some problems. But it's a process that would take many years. Um, but if you're mm-hmm. diligent about it, and then once that, once that tall fescue starts to take hold in the lawn, you'd want to manage the lawn such that the tall fescue would, be, would have sort of an advantage. So in this case, once you have some populations of tall fescue plants established in your lawn, maybe you back off, back off on the on the water to uh, you know to lessen the growth of the Kentucky bluegrass and encourage the growth of the tall fescue. Is it possible to start from scratch, new construction, et cetera? Just just start with that blend that doesn't incorporate the tall fescue. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. if you're starting from scratch, you got to especially a full sun situation, and you don't want to be watering a lot during the summer, I think a tall fescue Kentucky bluegrass mixture is is really a great option. I think we'll see more and more of that, more availability of that particular uh, combination. You're starting to see it uh, around town uh, when you're looking for seed. But that, that's, that's a combination, I think, as people are more and more concerned about uh, water use and uh, lawn performance during droughts, I think we're going to see more and more tall fescue in the landscape. Eric Watkins, professor at the University of Minnesota Department of Horticultural Science, joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. I, I live in the north metro, northern Hennepin County. I live along the river, so it's it's really uh, a lot of gravel, etc. But uh, my my neighbors pretty close by are dealing with a lot of sand, and then you get into a, a Anoka County, and there's a lot of sand in Anoka County. And uh, on the other side of the river and points north, is there a grass that's better for really sandy conditions, well-drained, uh, d- doesn't hold water at all? So in those situations, you're going you're gonna to want to stick with grasses that, don't, that we've just talked about that don't yeah. need quite as much water to stay green. So fine fescues and tall fescue yeah. are both options you might want to explore if you're dealing with a lawn that has a, a really sandy soil that's not going to hold that water. 
Yeah. Um, one other thing I, I wanted to get get into before we let you go. Uh, people in the in the spring go out and sometimes even rent those power rakes and get the thatch out. What are your thoughts on that? It seems a little late to be doing that sort of thing, but you still see them for rent at, at the garden center and at the hardware store. Is that a good idea? So dethatching or airifying these kind of cultivation procedures to reduce thatch are a good idea if you have a lot of thatch. You don't, you shouldn't do them just to do them. You'd want to do them in a situation where your thatch is too thick. You got kind of maybe a, a kind of a, a lawn that seems kind of spongy that has kind of a uh, a layer of uh, uh, tissue, organic matter above the soil surface. This time of year, we're probably, you probably don't want to be doing that sort of thing at this point, uh, especially given the drought conditions that we have. It kind of goes back to earlier when I was talking about pesticide and fertilizer applications. Aerification or dethatching is another thing you don't want to be doing when that grass is stressed. So uh, generally, we'd recommend doing uh, these dethatching uh, uh, operations in the late summer, early fall, during that time when the grass is growing vigorously so that any damage that uh, occurs to the lawn, and there's going to be some damage through that process, uh, is easily uh, overcome by the, uh, the grass growing vigorously in, these, in the cool uh, fall conditions. Uh, well, a lot of great info today. And then, of course, the plugs or the aerification. Uh, I, I've heard fall is the time to do it, but generally you don't need to do it every year. They, they do it a lot on golf courses, but uh, on uh, homeowners' turf grass, probably not every year. Right. I think it would be rare that a home lawn would need it every year. You know, it's something you do every few years, maybe at the most. Uh, and it's going to just depend on how you're managing your lawn. If you're watering the lawn a lot and fertilizing a lot, you're going to have more organic matter that's going to contribute to the buildup of thatch. Or maybe if you have a lawn that gets a lot of, a lot of use and a lot of traffic and is, is in a kind of soil that can compact a lot, then aerification would be useful. But, yeah, generally you're, you're not going to need to do it every, uh, every year. It's going to be a more infrequent uh, thing that you need to do to your lawn. All right. And then finally, if you have a lawn, you need to mow. Um, what, what, what are the, the key tips when mowing your turf grass? Uh, one of the really easy things you can do is uh, in, is raise your mowing height. So uh, maintaining your lawn at three, three and a half, four inches is really a great idea for many reasons. Uh, one of the big ones, though, is it just uh, it won't need as much water and it'll perform better during drought periods. So one of the things we've been recommending is people think about um, managing lawns during the summer, especially when we've had these uh, droughts each of the last few years, is just raising that mowing height. And then the other thing is to not mow your lawn when it's stressed. That is a, uh, when, you, when you do that, uh, you're going to lead to more damage to your lawn. So when we're in these drought stress conditions, you want to stay off that lawn with mowers, fertilizer applications, but just don't do uh, typical practices uh, to your lawn during these stress periods. Another reason to raise your mowing height is it uh, has some, for those who are interested in uh, thinking about how they can help pollinators uh, in their lawn, raising the mowing height has also been shown to uh, be helpful in that way as well. Oh, and uh, another one I've heard, is this true, is it not true? Sharp blades. Sharpen the blade on that mower. If you have a mower with multiple blades, uh, sharp blades are a big deal, aren't they? 
Yeah, sharp blades uh, are important uh, to make sure you get a nice clean cut, and uh, a poor mowing blade is going to lead to more shredding of leaf tissue, and that sort of exposes the leaf to more water loss and other problems. So, yeah, sharp blades are really important. It looks better. A lawn that's been mowed with a sharp blade also just looks better, but it also is better uh, for plant health. And if at all possible, leave the clippings lie. In other words, mulch whenever possible. That's right. Yeah, you should, you know, be a rare case and a homeowner should remove clippings. You might, if you get in a situation where you haven't mowed for a while and there's just a lot of clippings that are sort of matting over the turf and clumping up, uh, then you might want to remove them. But otherwise, try to uh, mulch them right back into the lawn. Well, Eric, always good to visit with you. Thanks so much for the time. Always a ton of great advice. And uh, by the way, the website, the University of Minnesota, extension.umn.edu. A lot of great stuff there. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, there he is, Eric Watkins, Professor, Department of Horticultural Science at the University of Minnesota. And, of course, our great Smart Garden Show each and every Saturday morning, hosted by Denny Long and the experts from the U between 8 and 9 a.m. So there it is, uh, some great advice to keep that lawn looking good. It's warm, it's dry, 30, or 3.33, and we'll have the weather in a moment. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. NBA Finals underway, and Denver already has a 1-0 lead. Nikola Jokic, uh, quite a playoff, dominant run to the NBA Finals. And the Denver Nuggets took Game 1, Game 2 coming up Sunday night. Does Miami have an answer? We'll get into that and more with Chris Hine. Covers the Timberwolves for the Star Tribune. Joins us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Chris, good to visit with you. I hope you're doing well. Doing all right, Steve. How are you? Yeah, good to visit with you. Boy, the sense is uh, Denver, after just steamrolling uh, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and the L.A. Lakers, uh, poised to win a title their first against the Miami Heat. The Heat have been a great story. I just don't know if they have an answer against Jokic and the Nuggets. Well, they would have to shoot a lot better than they did the other night. I, I, I wonder if the Celtics were sitting at home watching that game, wondering where the hell were these guys uh, when we played them because Miami couldn't hit a three. Um, all the guys who were hitting shots left and right in that Celtics series went ice yeah. cold. Um, and Denver is just you got to be you got to play almost a, a great to perfect game to beat Denver because they are such a well oiled machine that even when they have a bad night it's not really a bad night in some ways like it's it's a lot of other teams good nights because Jokic just does so much on the offensive end of the floor Jamal Murray can hit shots. Um, you know, difficult shots as, as you saw throughout this whole playoff and especially in that Wolves series. And, you know, Miami, I think they could, I think they can bounce back and give them a series. I, I would not count Miami out at any point as we've seen in this, in this playoffs, but they're going to need that supporting cast to keep kind of maybe punching above their weight a little bit as they, as they have most of the postseason. Without that, they don't stand a chance. 
I, I, we we knew about Jokic, but <laughs> this, this this guy has you know beyond being just a big body, uh, he he can really do it all. It's extraordinary. He, I, I think one of the things that I appreciated watching the Wolves series in person was his passing ability is as good as advertised. Like he will see people open and you like when you're sitting with a bird's eye view of the floor, you know, you you don't necessarily see that a player is open and he does, or he anticipates a player to come open. I think that's probably the most remarkable facet of his game that I've had in the, in opportunities to watch him in person. Um, the, the ability to just kind of see the floor like that, kind of be thinking a step ahead or a move ahead, um, and his teammates are kind of all on the same page with him, and, and they're they're very synced up, and the chemistry is, is great. And I think that's that's the one thing you really appreciate about Denver when you when you get to see them in person. With, with all due respect to Joel Embiid, the MVP, and Jokic plays on a much better team, the Denver Nuggets, than Embiid did with the 76ers, and there was James Harden, and it didn't work out again. But, boy, based on what I'm seeing, <laughs> I, I, I'm wondering if people could revote and say, yeah, Jokic is the MVP. That's, that's kind of what happens when it's just a regular season award. Right. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's going to be crying with his two MVPs and, and a potential title and final, right. <laughs> likely finals MVP if they get, if they get that far. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he – you know, I think people. I think one of the funny things about this postseason is you see a lot of people on social media, or even even people that follow the NBA, have been like, "Oh, I didn't realize Jokic was this good. Like he's that good." And it's it's kind of a a thing where if he was not playing in Denver and was playing, you know, say in Los Angeles or New York or or, or a bigger market, you know, people would probably be more attuned to what he's what he does um but now that he's got this deep playoff run and is on the national stage is putting up just eye-popping numbers every night people are finally realizing just just how good this guy really is and on the flip side the miami heat uh, go up 3-0 on the celtics ultimately prevail in a game seven quite a series and uh, jimmy butler uh what w- what a player what what a character I mean, he, he, it's it's hard not to like this guy. And he was with the Timberwolves for a little bit, but man, he 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 is he has got grit. I think one of the things that you see with him, whether it was last year when they when they lost to Boston, and this year, throughout the playoffs, throughout a tough regular season that they had, was he never wavered in the confidence yeah. of his of his team of his teammates and their ability to figure things out and get things done. Every interview you ever see him do, every comment or or clip that you saw, he was always professing the belief that we can win a title. These guys can do it. I like this team. You know, that's that's different from his time in other spots. So I think it makes it a little more authentic when you hear him say that because that was not the case in Minnesota. That was not the case in, in Phillies when he was there for a brief time. So I think that's one of the things that you see is that he does have a genuine belief in, in what the team that he currently has around him can do. And they've shown it. You know, they, they, they were the eighth seed, you know, could have been the seventh seed if they had won the, the playing game. 
So they're not a traditional eight seed in the in the sense of an of an eight seed. But you know, I think when you have that experience, the the coaching, of course, with Spolstra, um, you know, a, a long tenured coach who's had many successes in the playoffs, and guys who are willing to buy into that system and, and Jimmy's leadership and, and Spolstra's coaching, and, and that's what you get. We're kind of in this era of the NBA now where. You know, the the era of the super team is kind of dying out, I think. And, you know, teams like Denver and Miami, the teams that can produce good, solid cultures and, and teams around them, I think I think that, that kind of team is more likely to win a title than it was, say, 10 years ago when the super team landscape and LeBron was at his peak uh, was really humming at that time. Chris Hine joining us covers the Timberwolves for the Star Tribune online at startribune.com. And and really, you, you get three superstars together that gobble up so much of the cap. You know, how do you build a roster around it? I think Kevin Durant is a great example of how he's bounced around in his career, ends up in Phoenix. That didn't work out. You had James Harden bouncing around, ending up in Philly. That didn't work out. He may end up back in Houston. So, you know, there there are a lot of examples. What's happened in L.A. since LeBron made the move out there hasn't particularly worked out where these players try to find a spot and bring in friends or, or guys that feel like would would be ingredients. I, I just think in a hard cap league, it's too hard to make that work. It, it, the NBA hasn't been a hard cap league traditionally, but that's actually probably – going to for all intents and purposes change coming up here you've got this the new collective bargaining agreement has these punitive damages for reaching the quote-unquote second apron over the luxury tax without getting into the minutiae of it basically it's it's for teams that spend a lot of money there's going to be a lot of penalties including you know the inability to trade draft picks the inability to use mid-level exceptions inability to sign uh, mid-season free agents, things like that. Um, uh, so, you know, the era of having three, like, you know, kind of max contract guys uh, and being able to really field a, a competitive roster around that is really coming to a, a screeching halt uh, in the next couple of years here. And that's going to mean a lot for the Timberwolves, too, because they're going to have guys who are going to be playing on very large contracts uh, very soon, uh, as soon as uh, two years from now. Uh, after next season, they're going to have a lot of money on the books, most likely. So the Timberwolves are not excluded from that conversation when it comes to some of these decisions they're going to have to make to to get under this so-called second apron and all the penalties that come with it. Yeah, and, it, and thanks for clarifying because, you know, you look at the NHL hard cap league, NFL, you know, hard cap league, Major League Baseball, no cap, but they they have luxury tax penalties etc and the 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 NBA but but in reality a, a hard cap league really forces the talent to be spread out around the league which is good for the league and competitive balance i think ultimately it is i, I it's going to be an interesting thing to see play out we don't yeah. know kind of what the intended consequences are i've seen some things that you know this this new landscape of the of the salary cap is going to create just basically like 
guys that make max money, and you could have maybe two of those on a team, and then the rest of your team is going to be filled out with guys only making a couple million dollars. So, like, the ability to have guys that make, you know, over $10 million, around $20 million a year, that kind of middle class, quote-unquote, of the NBA, uh, for lack of a better term, is probably going to get squished out. So I think you're going to see salaries either just skyrocket to maximum deals or they're going to start shrinking for guys that have to round out the roster because these teams are just not going to want to go into those penalties, but yet they still have to have you still have to have a couple of stars on your team if you want to compete. A couple of things I want to get into. Would, would you mind holding through a break? We want to talk about John Moran. Yeah. want to talk about the coaching carousel, but we'll do that after a brief break. Chris Hine joining us from the Star Tribune. Uh, covers the Timberwolves. Uh, John Moran uh, doesn't look good based on what Adam Silver said at the beginning of the finals in Denver when he met the media. And there's some coaching moves. Uh, Monty Williams getting paid by Detroit. We'll get into all of that. Here on News Talk, E3-O-W-C-C-O. We continue with Chris Hines, Star Tribune, covers the Timberwolves. We're talking NBA. Finals game two tomorrow night, Miami at Denver Nuggets up one game to none. Adam Silver had a press conference before the start of the finals. John ja Morant came up, uh, the embattled Memphis Grizzlies star, and it sounds like Silver and the NBA are ready to drop the hammer on Morant. It certainly sounds like it. Uh, I thought that was a, I don't want to say unusual quote that Adam Silver had the other day, but I, I, don't, I can't recall seeing anything like it um, really in any, in any league almost, where he's, he's decided on the punishment and he's going to wait until the finals are over to, to announce it as to not distract from it. Um, it seems like from, from all everything I've read and, and all indications, it's going to be a, a fairly significant uh, punishment. And, you know, maybe like half the season is, is in play. Who knows, right? Um, so it, it sounds like it's going to be very significant. He's had the Players Association uh, reportedly kind of on board in this process. Um, so whatever comes down is going to be probably agreed upon between both the Players Association and the league office so as to not make a, you know, a, a controversy about a potential appeal. So I would expect something very, very significant uh, just based on the tone and, and tenor of, of what Adam Silver said the other day. Yeah, and based on what we've seen, Moran, it's not just one incident. Uh, there, there are other incidents involving guns and public and the NBA, uh, the owners, their business partners, they don't want that. And I, I've, I've kind of gone out there as well. I, so, some think it could be longer. Some say they, they, he could be out for an entire season, be suspended. I, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be more in a half a season, but that is still significant for one of the young superstars in this league. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, you know, I think one of the things that you know, was significant to see in Adam Silver's comments was that they uncovered more information. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I think everybody's wondering what is that information that they uncovered that potentially could lead to a harsher suspension. I'm sure, you know, whatever suspension is handed down is likely going to come with some sort of, steps for reinstatement like you'll have to probably you know 
some sort of counseling or, or, or what have you that, that he'll have to complete in, before the NBA will officially reinstate him or something along those lines, I'm, I'm guessing is going to be attached to that. Because the first time around, I think the NBA was trying to give John Morant the benefit of the doubt. Um, they gave him basically what amounted to a sentence already served when he was away from the team for a while, and then he came back. Um, but when when you do that, when you kind of put your credibility on the line and then you make the league look look silly as a result of trying to give you the benefit of the doubt, they really have no choice but to come down really hard on you the next time around. And it sends a message to the rest of the league and, and in a situation like this. So he's going to be the example for the rest of the league. Um, and it's going to be significant just how much. I guess we have to wait at least a few weeks to find out what that's going to be. We've only got about a minute, not enough to be fair to all of the coaching changes, but a big one, uh, the Suns let go of Monty Williams. He ends up in Detroit and got a big payday. Big payday. Um, you know, I, I wonder how, what that's going to mean for the future of coaching in the NBA. Yeah. But I think you're seeing, I think you're seeing this off season – the coaching profession in the NBA is becoming more volatile than ever. And so maybe as a result, salaries are going up and, and trying to get some of these big names. Um, so I, I think you're, you're seeing a bit of a transition in the coaching world. Some of these coaches, you know, a title doesn't necessarily buy you the job security it used to. Deep playoff runs yeah. doesn't buy you the job security it used to. So I think it's, it's a new world in the world of NBA coaching, and we'll, we'll see kind of the ramifications of that contract specifically, uh, later this offseason and in future years as well. well. He's got his work cut out for him in Detroit, that's for sure. Well, Chris, good to visit with you. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Steve. Anytime. Chris Hine from the Star Tribune, online, startribune.com. We have the news. We have the weather. We'll go outdoors with Steve Carney in a moment.